0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado.
1: In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Makes perfect sense, right? I don't know about you, but... It- this is one of those texts that I read over and over again. And I wonder to myself, what, what exactly is Jesus trying to say? What is this stuff about making friends of, for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that they will receive you into eternal dwellings? Um, is he trying to tell us that anything good like friendship can come from something like unrighteous money? Surely he's not saying that we can go out and buy friends, is he? And what does it mean that our friends will receive us into eternal dwellings? I guess someone could say to yourself, well, well maybe Jesus is telling us to spend money to get into heaven, but <laughs> heaven forbid. And what's even more confusing, I think, is, is the whole illustration that leads us up to this point. A master is cheated. His cheating steward is caught. The steward Cheats some more on his master. And then the master commends his steward. It doesn't seem to follow. Because how can something good like earning your master's praise. Come from something completely evil. Like cheating him over and over again. But dear friends in Christ. Jesus' intention is not to confuse. It's to teach. And we should also recognize that. Jesus doesn't always point to glowing examples of virtue to teach us. In fact, if we look all the way through the Scriptures, we find one example of a corrupted human being after another. Because it's by examining the conduct of sinners that we learn a lot about our own condition, but also the the wonder and, and greatness of God's grace. Now, it's funny that when we take a moment to consider this parable, it really starts to remind us of corrupt business practices that we might come across today. The kind of stuff that we hear about on the news, right? So let's face it. Fudging the books isn't exactly a new thing. Jesus knows this. And that's why he uses it as an example. It's familiar for both his original hearers and it's familiar for us. Now, Jesus' parable isn't about some... Uh, low-level technocrat at the bottom reaches of the company's bureaucracy. Now, the steward in this parable is more like a major executive at a bank who gets accused by the board of directors for putting away some, some money to afford his uh, vacation house up in the mountains. Now, imagine the scenario. You've just been called into the boardroom by the CEO and the other bigwigs to be informed about certain accusations that have been made against you you know they happen to be true. You're then requested to hand over all of your financial records, which you've been keeping to yourself for good reason, because they're going to accuse you. But hey, because we're all gentlemen and gentlewomen here, the CEO tells you, there's no need for the police to get involved. The company's big enough to kind of handle these losses without anyone noticing. But here's the deal. If you can't work here anymore, you're not going to be able to afford that nice house and the gated community that you love so much. You're not going to be able to afford to send your kids to that exclusive private school that they love so much and where all their friends are. And your country club membership? Well, you can forget about it. Unless, unless, uh, you act quickly. Now you have a couple of weeks to get your affairs in order but then you think to yourself, that's plenty of time to build myself a safety net. How are you going to do that? By making friends with all of the companies in which your bank is invested in, of course. And so you go and find one uh, one company owner. Hey, um, you owe how much? Well, you know, when I'm looking at my records right here, it says that you owe half that. <laughs> then you go find another uh, business person who you've been working with, and you ask him, okay, how much did, did you owe the bank? Oh, actually, my my... My computer here says you owe 20% less than that. Finally, when you lose your job at the bank, you're going to have plenty of friends. Plenty of friends who are willing to give you these cushy consulting jobs on the side so that you can keep up your lifestyle of sending your kids to the school they want to go to and uh, keeping your house in the gated community. So in the end, is it... Is it really hard to imagine that when your old CEO finds you someday, he's going to commend you for your shrewdness and your wisdom? Jesus finishes the parable by saying, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, this is interesting. It sounds like he's telling the sons of light, he's telling Christians, to take an example from the dishonest steward. Now, what is it about the steward that we should try to emulate? Well, on the one hand, there are his motivations and his concerns. And of course, we know that his major concern is with losing the lifestyle with which he has become accustomed. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So strong is his devotion for these creature comforts that he's willing to cheat his master over and over again as if there was nothing, nothing at all wrong with it. No, dear friends, I don't, I don't think that Jesus is telling us that we need to chase after the worldly desires and comforts that this man had been doing. Indeed, at the end of this parable, Jesus sets two masters in conflict with one another. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who is the God of the steward? It was money. It was wealth. It was the stuff of this world. In fact, it's as long as he's under the power of his covetous greed, it's impossible to serve God. So, Jesus isn't not telling us to follow his example of, of his desires or his false God. But if that's the case, what is he going to teach us? Well, to get at the answer of that, we have to consider that Jesus isn't telling this parable to just everyone. He's not telling it to unbelievers so that they continue in their unrighteous ways, so that they'll be received into heaven. No, dear friends, at the beginning of the gospel lesson, it's very clear. He's telling this parable to his disciples. The parables that Jesus had been speaking up to this point included things like the prodigal son and uh, the lost sheep. And he was telling them to the Pharisees because of their hard-heartedness and the fact that they were scandalized over Jesus' relationship with sinners, his fellowship with them. But now Jesus has directed his attention to those who have already received the gift of faith. He's telling this to Christians like you and me. Clearly, Jesus is teaching us to be wise with the resources that we have at our disposal. And that's why Jesus highlights the shrewdness of the dishonest manager. Especially the ingenuity that he, that he had in using money to keep him out of the ditch digging business. Insofar as his God was, uh, worldly comfort, we have to admit he served his God really, really well. Now, insofar as that he did that by exploiting his master's accounts and by abusing his duties, well, that's not really all that surprising because his false god of worldly wealth doesn't really tell you anything about taking unjustly from other people. Indeed, the false gods of this world are always silent. So what choice does that leave you but to follow the corrupted desires Of your own flesh. But as a Christian dear friends. You don't have a dead idol for a God. You have the living Christ. You have a God who speaks to you. And who teaches you through his word. And had it not been for the word of God. You wouldn't have known about the corruption of your nature. Or your fallen desire to make a God out of yourself. And other stuff around you. You wouldn't have known that it was impossible to serve both God and money. You wouldn't have known that your sins incur a real debt of guilt before God in heaven. But this Word of God also teaches us about the forgiveness and grace that are found in Christ Jesus. And dear friends, this is the heart of the message this morning. Because it's through the cross of Christ that you have been freed from your debt of sin to serve your neighbor in wisdom and joy. You see, there is an all-important difference between you and the unrighteous steward. While the steward was trapped in serving his selfish desires, you have been set free. You are free because Jesus has broken you out of the debtor's prison of sin, death, and the grave. You are free because your baptism has created a new spirit within you that is completely unencumbered by selfish desires and self-centeredness. There is a price to be paid for incurring the debt of sin. And the price is too high for you to ever afford. And in fact, the more we try to, to pay the price on our own, The more we chase after false and silent gods and the deeper in the hole we find ourselves. But thanks be to God. Our Savior Jesus Christ has paid the debt for us. Because when we chased after false and silent gods, He served His Heavenly Father. And when we ignored our neighbor in His need, Jesus supported His neighbors in their bodily need and and protected and improved their possessions and income. And finally, when his work of keeping the law perfectly for your sake was completed, he was lifted up upon the cross, and he suffered the wages of sin. He paid the price not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death. Today, dear friends, you have been set free by this promise from Christ. Jesus tells you, you owe nothing. You are free. I have paid the price and everything that you have received from the gift of your saving faith to all of the money in your bank account is freely given to you from your merciful Father in heaven. Isn't this remarkable news? Jesus has taken something that's been completely corrupted by sin, like the unrighteous God of mammon, and has redeemed it for good and godly use. And this frees us from being overly obsessed with our selfish desires and all the different twisted ways that we can use money to really see our neighbor and his needs. This is what the gospel brings into sharp focus. And it's only from from resting securely in our salvation worked out from Jesus that we can truly see and appreciate our neighbor and his need. With the work of our Savior before our eyes, we can more easily understand Jesus' parable and even recover a real sense of joy when we pursue our neighbor's good. And it's only when this gospel slips our minds that things get confusing and muddy. So what does this mean for us as Christians and how we use money? Well, we know that, first of all, as Christians, we're not as faithful as we would like to be. And this is why Jesus holds the example of the steward up for us. And I think that the reason why we haven't been entirely wise is because of Satan's lies which want us to twist the free gift of the worldly resources that we have into winning favor, into winning favor with God and into winning favor with other men. But dear friends, we're not given our money to, to make friends. We're not trying to buy off other people's friendship. Instead, we're giving our, our treasures and our income to be a friend to our neighbor. And when we use our wealth in this way, to be a good friend to our neighbor, there will be friends to welcome us into the heavenly dwellings. And how is that? Well, we unashamedly use our resources to, for the furtherance of the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. And for that reason, we pay our pastors, we support our seminaries, We send missionaries around the world and we exemplify the love of Christ in our life by loving our neighbors, by providing for them and by giving to them in their time of need. We love others as Christ has first loved us. And none of this is done from compulsion or guilty conscience, but because we have been given a free and willing spirit. Because St. Paul writes, each one must give, as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's no reason to worry, no reason at all to worry about our future when we give for the good of our neighbor. Because your Heavenly Father has cared for you in the past and He will continue to provide for you in the future. But this much is certain. In the same way as the steward didn't have much time to use the resources at his disposal to make friends for himself, so also do we know as Christians that our time upon the sinful and fallen world is growing short. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is returning quickly. Let us pray, therefore, for the wisdom and the shrewdness to serve our neighbor as Christ would have us. And let us ever keep our eyes upon our crucified and risen Savior, that we may have a bold faith to serve our neighbors, ever pointing them to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen.